Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast, and CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well, and uh, as we continue to move through August of 2021, I'm going to apologize up front. Uh, the first segment here, the Cloud News of the Week segment, we are recording in a slightly different location, and we don't have all of our normal, uh, really good recording equipment and sound canceling, echo canceling thing. So, apologize for the very first part of the show today. The audio might be slightly off. Uh, the rest of the recording, the interview that we're going to do follow up is with all the normal stuff. Uh, so definitely don't uh, don't skip it, just because this first section may have a little bit of echo in it. But uh, let's get right to Cloud News of the Week. There's a lot of things uh, related to companies that have been uh featured on the Cloudcast or related to things going on with the Cloudcast. So let's jump right into that. Uh, first off, a couple of rounds of, uh, of funding was announced. Large, Launch Darkly raised $200 million at a $3 billion valuation. Uh, you can check out the interview we did with them. They do uh, Feature flags help make sure that you can deploy code uh, very safely. We did a great interview with them back on episode 413, uh, which was, I think, end of 2019. But if you, if you look in the show notes, we'll have a link to it there. And then a recent guest of the show who was on episode 523 back in June of, uh, of last year, um, Snorkel AI raised $85 million at a $1 billion valuation. So congratulations to both those companies. Uh, Snorkel AI, very focused on being able to uh, help classify your data as you're doing AI models. Lots of really, really smart folks from Stanford uh, working on that. Uh, next one we had was Cisco acquired a SaaS monitoring company, Epsigon uh, for $500 million. Uh, Epsigon competes in the highly, highly um, competitive sort of monitoring observability, uh, SaaS-based uh, monitoring observability space that, uh, that plenty of other companies are in. Uh, so congratulations, Cisco. They continue to build out that portfolio, having uh, acquired a couple of other companies in this space recently. Um, and then a couple of other ones uh, that, you know, companies that we've touched on quite a bit. Um, HashiCorp released their uh, State of the Cloud uh, Insight Report. Uh, they had looked at uh, not only a lot of uh, stats from their own uh, product that they sell, uh, from, you know, the usages from their customers of what they sell, but also the open source HashiCorp projects. So um, all the, uh, the different tools that we've covered over the years from our friends from HashiCorp. So really interesting thing. I think the biggest takeaway uh, that you're going to get sort of the headline of it was lots and lots of multi cloud insights. Um, you know, so people are definitely using multiple clouds. Now, how they're using multiple clouds is still, you know, kind of always on a case-by-case -case basis. But, uh, you know, as much as we, we talk about the big three, I think we're seeing multiple cloud usage, uh, at least coming from the perspective of HashiCorp and the people that are using a lot of their tools. 
And then finally, uh, back on episode 476, we had the folks from Insovalent was talking to us and introduced us to a new concept that's sort of a, a, an intersection of software-defined networking and uh, software-defined granular uh, security, so a concept called eBPF. Uh, mm -hmm. So for those of you the, that are in the networking space, uh, this will be very, very interesting to you. The eBPF foundation was created. So a number of companies who are very focused around that, Google, uh, Microsoft, Insovalent, and a few others, uh, created the eBPF foundation. So if you are interested in that space, definitely go check it out. And with that, we're going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Again, apologies for uh, a little bit of echo you'll probably hear in this first uh, three or four minute segment. But the interview that we're doing to follow up is great. And we're really digging into um, kind of how do we simplify the life of developers. I know it's a topic we've talked about on both Sunday Perspective Show and, and also uh, some of the different ways that people are doing um, things to, to make life easier for developers. And we're going to dig into that with the folks from Vercel right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Spot from NetApp the cloud automation platform that makes it easy to deliver continuously optimized infrastructure at the lowest possible cost. Spot helps customers get the most out of their cloud investments by automating cloud infrastructure to ensure performance, reduce complexity, and optimize cost. Their machine learning and automation scale to exactly meet application needs using the most efficient mix of instances and pricing models, eliminating the risks of over-provisioning and cloud waste. Best of all, their software works with leading cloud platforms, services, and tools so that you can simplify and automate your cloud infrastructure wherever your workloads and applications run and however you run them. Discover how leading companies from cloud-native startups to global enterprises are automating, simplifying, and optimizing their cloud infrastructure with Spot by NetApp. Check them out at spot.io slash cloudcast where you can find more information, quest a demo, or even start a free trial. That's spot.io slash cloudcast. And we're back. And, you know, folks, if you've been following the show for a while or even just for a short period of time this year, you know that we've been kind of digging in a little more on some of the topics around how do we make developers productive? How do we make, uh, you know, how do we help developers that are that are building new applications? And, and obviously with, um, you know, so many new types of applications that sprung out of the pandemic this last year and, and new ways that, that companies are interacting with their customers and their marketplace, um, you know, understanding what tools are available to developers, what frameworks are helping them be successful is really, really important. And today we're going to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, you know, when you get a chance to to dig into that uh, in the developer space, um, it's good to go to the experts like we always do. And so today, very, very excited to have Guillermo Rausch, who is CEO at Vercel. Uh, Guillermo, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. You, uh, you've got quite an interesting background as a developer uh, prior to Vercel, uh, developed a lot of really interesting what folks call front-end frameworks. But give us a little bit of your background before we dive into, into Vercel and, and really kind of the things that you've been working on. For sure. Uh, ever since I started programming, I was compelled by the idea of the web, but uh, more granularly, the idea of adding dynamism in real-time capabilities to the web. So as soon as I saw um, JavaScript and its ability to run on the client side, and make different processes of web applications and websites faster. Like it was kind of like a one-way street for me, and I started developing, you know, techniques that uh, later uh, became known as AJAX. I remember in the early days, I would use iframes to try to simulate a request to a server without reloading the entire page. That later on led to researching ways of creating frameworks or libraries that were, you know, making these patterns reusable. That led me to the contribution to uh, uh, Mootools, a early 
JavaScript framework. I got to meet a lot of amazing people in the JavaScript space, some of whom ended up going to Facebook and created React. We're in the early days of defining what the right primitives for JavaScript were, like components and classes. Mutuals had a lot of that stuff. Then I took a, a, an interesting uh, detour, still in JS, but started contributing a lot to Node.js because I was excited about this concept of JavaScript everywhere. I actually wrote a book for Smashing Magazine in partnership with Wiley called JavaScript Everywhere. Uh, and it talk, taught about Node and JavaScript in the client. I developed a real-time communication framework called Socket.io that became used by uh, one of the early versions of Office 365 Online and a lot of other websites. Today, actually, a component of Socket.io called Engine.io is, is used to power Notion, the document collaboration tool. So my software kind of lives on in a number of places. But most recently, I became really, really interested in React and its potential to change the world through standardizing on the concept of a component. I've tweeted in the past, I called React the uh, Lego bricks for adults. And it's something that I've missed throughout my entire career. We, I found that we're always reinventing the wheel and we didn't have the right primitives to share uh, behavior and UI and have the right abstractions to build upon those and share them with the world. So Next.js is a framework that we created. It's built on top of the React engine and today powers companies like Apple and TikTok and Hulu and a lot of the websites that you use every day. We created Vercel as a platform to deploy Next.js, to make it globally distributed, to make it such front-end developers and front-end teams and enterprises don't have to worry about front-end infrastructure. They don't have to worry about scaling. They don't have to worry about serverless. And we just manage all their front-end deployments for them. And yeah, that's basically the abridged uh, history of me <laughs> in, in a couple sentences. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... That's a that's a sort of a short and sweet way of being like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm at the forefront of of your experience of of how you experience the internet. That's a that's a pretty cool <laughs> that's a pretty cool calling card. Um, I, I was you know I was sort of scrolling through Twitter today just randomly, uh, knowing I was talking tonight, but but just randomly scrolling through Twitter and uh, and somebody sort of mentioned uh, their def their description of Vercel as being um, you know kind of the the future is if of you if you combined Heroku and GitHub um, to make it, you know, not only where developers are going to keep all their code, but but sort of simplify that experience. That's a that was sort of a that's a big, um, you know, kind of I guess definition or uh, you know for somebody to put those sort of credentials on you. That's very very cool stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm actually hearing it a lot more. I'm hearing that sentiment a lot more more recently. Uh, it's probably because as we have grown. Folks that had never heard of us and had only Heroku as a reference of like, what is a platform that is going to make my life easier? I'm hearing that sentiment a lot. We respected what Heroku did a ton. So it's amazing to hear that kind of compliment. compliment. Uh, what I would add to that is I think the, the, the new twist that even I myself didn't, didn't catch on at the time was, you know, Heroku fo focused a lot on this idea of servers and you know writing your own back end and connecting to the database we focus a lot on front end but in some ways we are doing the same things we're trying to create apps that solve real world problems that perform really well and you know that is that they're a joy for developers to iterate on and and uh, so it's it's amazing to get that kind of compliment yeah no it's 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 very cool um I want to come back at, at, at some point and dig more into into kind of the the Vercel platform, but 
before we dive into that, so obviously, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you've you've spent a lot of time being a developer, creating frameworks and so forth. Um, there's a million choices I feel like for developers in terms of what they can build, how they can build it. Um, how do you kind of get inside of their head and narrow down? Uh, you know, the, the thing I find is I talk to different developers is there's rarely two that are kind of the same. Um, sometimes they're solving Absolutely. similar problems. Like, how do you create certain opinionation around the platform? Uh, how, how do you know where to go with it? Give them certain amounts of options, but not give them too many sharp edges. Like, wh- what's your thought process around that? Hundred percent. I think it's an excellent question because there is an art and a craft to it as much as there is a science, right? Yeah. My, my science, and speaking of re- reading my tweets, one tweet that I do like that I've shared recently is I think it, it was something along the lines of everything should happen in a hundred milliseconds. Worst case scenario, one second. Right. I, I think I called it um, simple guideline for life. Everything should happen within 100 milliseconds, a thousand milliseconds at the absolute worst. And I mentioned science because this actually is rooted in research. Right. So this is research that Nielsen published in 1993. When I came across it many years ago, it was like kind of like a pivotal moment for me because I had intuited these numbers. But what the research says is in 100 milliseconds is about the limit for a user to feel that the system is reacting instantaneously. One second is a limit for our flow of thought to remain uninterrupted, meaning that you're not command tabbing to check Instagram or Reddit, or you're going to your phone. And then 10 seconds is, and by the way, that crucial one second deadline is when the user doesn't feel that the system is real time anymore, that they're not directly operating on the data. And then 10 seconds is like, they guarantee that they're going to lose their attention and they're going to go elsewhere. And I think over my hypothesis that over the years, actually that 10 seconds is probably getting pushed down. 10, seven, faster with mobile devices, with faster internet, whatever, it's just going to keep going down the tolerance of like remaining. So when you take this numbers, you can actually make the case for, okay, when I designed the Next.js, I want to make sure that when you change a file to change a color and a component or to add a component, I needed to give you feedback in 100 milliseconds. So for some th- something we innovated in is that from the very beginning, five years ago, Next.js has had this capability for what's called hot module replacement uh, using a, uh, under the hood a, uh, uh, something that Webpack had pioneered. And we launched, that was the, uh, we called it zero configuration. So you would start using Next.js and that was the thing that was baked in. 100 milliseconds to get that instantaneous feedback. Any other system, still a lot of the customers that I talked to when they're migrating off of other monolithic systems, a lot of them still don't have the technology that would even show your change without hitting a refresh button. And even after you hit that refresh button, it might take seconds or tens of seconds or minutes to give you your feedback. So that's something that you, the science part of it, right? Like I yeah. know that I will retain the developer's attention if I give them feedback within 100 milliseconds. So we continue. And by the way, there is further research that Dan Liu has done, more experimental in his own sort of perception. But I think developers can actually get trained to tell between 10 and 100, yeah. and gamers as well, between even one and 10. So we, we, we continue to push down towards zero in terms of like our ability to give the overs feedback in real time. So that's the, the science part of it. I think the craft part of it relates to your point about 
how do you constrain the APIs? How do you define the perimeter such that then people can put their own sort of opinions and creations and things inside? And that's where I think, you know, uh, maybe uh, from our experience, I think, uh, as I mentioned, React has provided an incredible sort of set of abstractions that we can build upon that are very sound and reliable. Uh, so for example, you can define a component and uh, crucially React allows you to uh, do so something when that component exits the screen, when like it gets uh, removed from the screen. That was incredibly difficult for developers to do years and years ago. They would like leak memory or hang event listeners or ha have connections to the server that were sending data for things that are no longer on the screen and things like that. So we benefit a lot from that movement. Another, uh, I guess, a big contribution that we made with Next.js was introducing this concept of pages. It sounds really simple, but most of these systems for building frontends were not giving you a way of creating a simple page that you could publish on the internet. And that's also where Vercel kind of comes from. It's like, I needed to create a simple page for my company using React components and I wanted to be able to deploy it in seconds. And we added this concept of the pages directory. It has some inspiration from PHP. Uh, when you would use PHP decades ago, uh, even still today, you can create a web root. You, hook, you would hook up Apache to your web root. And then every PHP file that was put into that folder. Then this was even true for the ZGI bin directory. Every file that you would put into that folder would Im immediately become a route that was accessible with a web browser. So we baked in that concept into the framework. And that's one of those, again, perimeters that we defined that became incredibly important because the page boundary has allowed us to do a lot of interesting things. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's an opinion that's baked in in there. So there's this concept of pages, pages mapped to routes, and uh, it's worked out well for us. Yeah, no, it's <clears throat> it's really interesting the way you you kind of describe that because it's it, to a certain extent in technology, we have a tendency to to sort of, fascinate over features and, and add new features. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when you sort of strip it back to some basic things, which is, um, you know, this idea, like you said, that you've got to be super conscious about, about speed and response time. You understand that networks are going to get faster. CPUs are going to get faster, but, but people's attention span is also getting shorter. And then, you know, you simplify that down to, um, like you said, like just pages, people just want, yeah, I, I want I want a canvas that I can work on, and it doesn't need to be overly complex. Yeah. It's 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 really fascinating what happens when you you take away some things from people, and they actually sometimes get more creative because the restrictions you know force them to go. Oh, okay, I can do amazing things even within these constraints. For sure, another framework that's been useful for me is essential versus accidental complexity. So I think uh, in the beginning of my career, when I would design APIs, I was kind of obsessed with, they have to be very terse, um, kind of the naive heuristic of saying, like, if, if there's fewer keystrokes, it will be more pleasant and it'll gain adoption. And that's actually true. So that's why you can get misled. Because if you write fewer characters, like, I think there will be a, a kind of a bunch of developers that will say, like, oh, I love that. Like, it's so easy and ergonomic. I've been using actually this word ergonomic a lot. It's, it's like handling a tool. It's like holding it, right? So it is a portal toward innovation and, and adoption. And it could be a good portal because it's a heuristic. However, 
for example, I mentioned that idea of like the unsubscription or the or the or the um, destructor hook uh, that components have. Sometimes there is essential complexity that you have to capture. It means you have to make your APIs longer. It means you have to add things that normally people would call boilerplate. I think people complain about boilerplate when it relates to accidental complexity or things that should be behind an abstraction. But the, the same is true for when you have an API that is you know, leaky in the sense of it's, it's hiding its real complexity. And then it bites you down five, 10, 100 days from now. And then developers just have a disgust for, for your technology. Right, right. Um, I want to come back to the to the Vercel platform, if you will. Um, you know, there are obviously there are you know very large clouds out there that that offer tons and tons of services that developers can use. How did you guys think about what was going to be in your platform? You know, what to narrow it down to? What were the essentials of kind of creating that that great ability for developers to be? productive and creative, and then what you had to offer in the underlying platform to, to make them successful? For sure. One of, one of the design constraints was front-end folks and people that want to publish pages on the internet vis-a-vis the Next.js pages directory don't want to configure infrastructure right. and shouldn't have to. Right. And it, had, and it had that lingering feeling that, well, if PHP made it possible, then it should be possible to you know, take that content and scale it. And especially because PHP was behind so many great creations like Box, Yahoo, Wikipedia, Facebook. I knew that there was something there. What really ended up happening was that we could meet that constraint of you deploy a front end to Vercel, it scales globally without you having to do anything. And it's really fast. When we sort of came across this world of serverless compute, basically the, the fundamental idea is we operate an edge network, and when requests to your website come in, we can answer them at the edge. And if not, we can compute them just in time with a dynamic function invocation. So what we do under the hood is basically create this infrastructure that is designed to scale horizontally that doesn't require developers to fiddle with knobs around, what is my CPU here? What is my memory here? What is my auto-scaling policy here? So that's on, on one hand. On the other hand is that we optimize heavily for the front-end frameworks that we know about, like Next.js, like Svelte, like Nuxt, like Vue, like Create React App, like Gatsby. When you import one of those frameworks, and the process is quite simple. So you have a Git repository with your framework, you import it to Vercel, and it's live in seconds. So when you do that, we're not only giving you this you know, global compute layer that auto scales, but we're also applying a lot of important optimizations that are necessary for this production websites. HTTPS and SSL is a basic one, but also applying the right caching primitives for the assets that are immutable, such that then we can roll your fronts without downtime. So there's a lot of machinery behind the scenes. There are things that front developers would never want to think about but ultimately, what we discovered along the journey is big enterprises also don't want to think about them because they're, they can't afford as they have to get features, products, and services to market, and this becomes a differentiated infrastructure. Yeah, no, it makes it makes a ton of sense. I, you know, it keeps coming back this this you know core concept of 
they don't want to fiddle with infrastructure. Um, but then the more you can bring your expertise of having seen this pattern hundreds and hundreds of times with different developers, projects, companies, um, the better you can get at it. And, and, you know, again, simplify that, take that away from them having to worry about it. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing when you, yeah, you don't have to be fiddling around with routes and firewalls and, and caches and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm curious as, as I, as I sort of dig into, to the technology, as I dig into how you sort of position it, I'm curious, do you think about, um, you know, one of your goals is to, to create great developer experiences. Is it, is it about creating sort of collaborative experiences with teams because, you know, projects often involve many people or is it, is it more, you know, you guys think about, okay, what's, what are people trying to create from a business, the result of the business, you know, what they want on the webpage and work backwards? Like, is it, are you trying to design around sort of people centric things or sort of outcome and results, or is it some combination of the two? Yeah, so the way we explain our objectives is there's three ingredients to it. One is we want to give you a meaningful SDK for the web. So when you sign up for your Apple developer account, you know, Apple is very happy to give you, here's Swift and Swift UI, go build our thing and whatever. It's a, it's a walled garden and the web is not, but they do have that nicety of here's the recipe for building an application. So we saw that as a gap in the web, and that's why we built Next.js. We want to make it the most prolific web SDK that has the best developer experience. So that, that was kind of like number one. Number two is we want to lower the barrier to entry. So one really cool aspect of the Vercel platform is every time you push and we deploy your front end, even if it's not in production yet, we'll give you this live URL that you can share with anybody in the, in the team of your work in progress. So we're basically turning something that was uh, the, the front development process very opaque to everybody else in the team, right? Designers, product folks, like they just couldn't even see what you were working on until it got to staging weeks or months later. We're now turning that process into a real-time process. Every time you make a code change, we have a URL for you instantly that you can share with everybody. So it's almost like Figma, but for front-end development. Yeah, you could, you, so, you could, you could, in theory, create sort of like uh, watch parties, right? What's going on? Have different, <laughs> totally, and have different uh, sort of, you know, client, well, not clients, but like customers, right? Stakeholders looking at it, going, okay, does it make sense to me? Is that what I expect? Hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's cool. We're 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 seeing this a lot with agencies on the platform that are exchanging these links with clients. We're seeing it a lot with uh, our uh, enterprises that have lots and lots of stakeholders that have to, whether it's marketing whether it's IT, security, everyone yeah. can take a look at things in, a, in this pre-production state. Um, and that also relates to our infrastructure that is so capable of deploying, we're up to nearly a million deploys a week. Wow. Uh, because people are just pushing and pushing and pushing. We're deploying, we're giving them this URLs instantly. So that's another aspect of it. Um, and then finally, we have performing for the end user, right? So like, in terms of the fitness function of what makes a framework and a platform stay relevant over time, and this is perhaps something that we have to contribute to the storyline of, of Heroku and many others that have preceded us, is that we're uniquely positioned to guarantee or give you all the tools necessary to guarantee the end user success. 
So as, as an example here, we, we, we bake in all these production optimizations that are considered best practice, right? Like we have really fast caching. We have really, uh, we have all this codex for compressing your JavaScript bundles in the best possible way. But the other thing that we have is that we have this analytics layer that measures your uh, core web vitals, which is this sets of metrics that tell you basically how fast is your end user seeing your content from a realistic point of view, meaning like the metric literally measures like the image appearing in front of their eyes, right? As opposed to like, you know, as technology, sometimes we look at time to first buy or some ping latency or whatever. No, this metric tells you your customers saw the page that is trying to sell them a sneaker. Um, so we capture all those metrics and we bake them right into the workflow. So it, when you bet on Next.js and Vercel, you're basically betting on the performance, not just of your developers, but of, of your end users. And I think this is a unique trait that I think over long periods of time, you know, kind of aligns our success with the success of our customers. And I think this is pretty new in cloud because if you go to AWS, if you go to Heroku, whatever, you could spend millions with them. But the question would be, are you actually performing with them? Are right. you selling more? Like I tweeted, since you're looking at my tweets, I, I, I was talking with a customer the other day, very successful DTC brand all over Europe and in North America. And they were telling me by rewriting our front end to Next.js and Vercel without adding new features, because that was a step one of their transformation away from a monolith. They were, okay, I'm going to put my front end in, in Vercel. They lifted sales by 16%. Wow. And that's because of those automatic production optimizations we do, as well as framework optimizations. And now, because of the nature of how collaborative and experimental the process that the platform gives you is, they can start actually adding more features that will lift their sales even even higher. And all the while they're getting our analytics layer to, to ascertain that they're performing. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly fond of this idea that we have a complete feedback loop that is rooted in reality and we're not just, you know, trying to hope for the best. Right, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very, very powerful. And especially like you said, it's, it becomes this complete feedback loop. It's things you can visualize, things you can collaborate around, actual analytics to look at it, um, power, powerful, yep. powerful stuff. One last question I'll, I'll ask you to put your, your sort of crystal ball hat on. Um, <laughs> what are, what are some of the areas maybe just because of, you know, that this technology is new available or kind of new patterns you've seen because of the last year of, of everybody, you know, kind of having to change how they do work. Like what are some areas that are kind of on your radar to be focused on or kind of trends you're seeing people focus on? Yeah, I try to be very customer driven. So as I was having this conversation with this customer, they were telling me, um, well, the next revenue lift came from right after we, we ported came from being able to experiment. So they were experimenting and they did lots of experiments, but one that worked out really well was sorting products differently in the navigation according to the customer that was visiting the site. This is an area that Next.js and Vercel already make possible, but we want to double down on. Basically allowing you to do more A-B tests, more user experimentation, better integrations for those, better performance at the edge to dynamically render these pages while ensuring top performance. So historically in cloud, 
dynamism has sometimes come at the expense of uh, performance. And that's why there was kind of a this detour in, in the industry where like a lot of folks thought, well, maybe if I go static, I'll finally reclaim my performance. But what we actually hear from the entire industry at this point is, hey, like my entire team needs to constantly be experimenting on this on this front end and we need to measure it. And that's how we evolve our business. So that's one of the key trends and, and things that I'm seeing right now. Uh, we have a lot of really interesting technology coming to market with our ability to do this dynamic computations at the edge. We're baking them right into Next.js such that you have a complete developer workflow, right? Like what's happened a lot with ways of accomplishing this is that there's some features that live in some proprietary production system. And then the developer is left to guess, okay, what, what's going to happen? It's like a magic ball. What's going to happen when I deploy? What's going to happen in prod that's different from what I'm experiencing right now? So this is something that Vercel is, is uniquely well-suited to solve because of our uh, deep integration between framework and edge platform. Um, so I think that's really, really big. Um, there is uh, this other uh, interesting vector that this opens, which is a lot of what makes websites slow today is not your own code. It's actually the code coming from marketing tools, sales tools, like intercom and all the chat widgets and all the things that you put on the client side are bogging down your performance. So this is something that our analytics layer is already telling you about but we're always looking for, okay, how can we put that computation, move it from the device to the edge instead, such that you, we want to give customers the cake and their ability to eat it at the same time, because you can't just say, well, I'm going to stop serving ads because it's bringing my performance down, or I'm going to leave my uh, teams without their events for tracking how the product is doing because it's bringing down my performance. So we think we have a, really good set of solutions coming to market for kind of having that cake and eating it too. Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very cool. I, I, I know I have sat in uh, numerous, numerous meetings and, and various engagements where somebody comes along, they go, Hey, there's this very cool new technology or there's this new way we can do it. Uh, the, the boss, the manager, the person paying the bill goes, okay, cool. But what's it yes. going to be like? And you're like, I don't really know, but I think, and you're, you're kind of putting some, some surety around, uh, around what that, what that possibility is. That's very, very cool. Sort of seeing the future. Well, listen, Guillermo, I'm going to wrap up there. Uh, thank you so much for the time today. It was cool to, to really dig into, you know, not only how all this technology is involved, but, you know, evolved, but how you guys are, are really kind of optimizing it and and delivering cool new, uh, new, cool new experiences around with Vercel. So thank you again so much. If, if folks want to, uh, engage, obviously, Vercel.com, but other ways that, uh, that you're typically engaging uh, new users, new customers? So I, I'm very open to feedback and conversations with customers all the time. So please follow me on Twitter at RouchG, R-U-C-H-G. And you'll, you'll find my profile, check out my essays, and uh, uh, please let us know how your Vercel experience goes. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, folks, uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up uh, for myself and for Aaron. We want to thank Guillermo again for his time today and his insight. Thank you all for listening to the show. Thanks for helping us grow the, the show, the community, and giving us feedback in all the ways that you listen to your podcast. So with that, we'll wrap up, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.